the following the following journey into comic 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 journey into comics network 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 production production hello and now i know what you're thinking where's the intro why are you just talking without the usual bumpers and things that come before the episode that you're listening to well i just wanted to give a little explanation of what this show was instead of doing it at the top of the episode like is commonly done on the network I just wanted to say that this new show has been kind of a labor of love. I realized from doing the poor poor, from doing poor news and poor entertainment, that it was just becoming a little stale for me. Obviously, I am Andrew Poor. I am the host of this show that you're hearing today, which is Poor 360. Now, but back to what I was about these other shows. They started with great intentions, uh, just building on a topic, but then I realized I was pigeonholing myself by just being a news show. I was stuck picking news topics of current events and discussing them. I felt that if I was doing anything that wasn't that, that I was being disingenuous to the listeners that I had on the show. So that's where Poor 360 comes in. Poor 360 is a show that I've had in my mind for a bit now that I wanted to move past in the new year. Then I had the weird idea to do it once the government shutdown happened, but it looks like that thing's going to be going forever. And that kind of gets to what I'll talk about actually in the body of the show, because that'll be the topic for this week. And that is that Poor360 will be a topic-based current event show. I'm going to pick a topic, whether, like in this case, this week's is the government shutdown in the United States, obviously not internationally, but it does have global ramifications, but... This way, I'm not tied to just the current events. If there's something big that I want to talk about, it doesn't... I can just focus on that and not actually have to really do big news. Obviously, it's going to be timely. It's Otherwise, what the point? But I realized that it was getting to a point where I wasn't looking forward to doing the show. I was putting it out just to put it out, and I realized it. the show I was making was not a show that if I saw it, I would listen to it. And that's really unfortunate. So... That's where kind of this idea came from. Now, Poor360 will be a show where I'll learn some things, you'll learn some things, and we'll kind of both learn them together. News these days with both sides and everyone having an agenda is becoming so hard to try and be unbiased. Because if you're reading from a news article from Fox News or from CNN, you can get two conflicting... Um, explanations for the same event. But if I get a topic, and I can choose to go into the history of it, into what's going on with it now, what do you think is going to happen in the future, I can be more authentic. I can feel like I'm not just every other news anchor out there, that I can actually bring you a good show. And that's where I'm going to kind of take this show, and also to feel my need for creativity and to bring you new and interesting content every episode of poor 360 after the end credit so to speak we'll have a bonus mini episode that will be something interesting to stay and listen to it's going to be probably between five and ten minutes around there it'll be something interesting this week i've already recorded it as i'm as you're hearing this now it's about home improvement things it's going to be called poor improvement because everything has to be tied to my name I remember hearing, um, years and years back now, by the time you hear it, but uh, does anyone know, uh, Conan O'Brien used to host 
I believe it was the Tonight Show. And then there's that whole thing with Jay Leno, and he lost that. So when he came to TBS to have his own late night sitcom, it was called Conan because he said, "You can't fire me from a show that has is my name, or it's extremely unlikely I'd rather just cancel it." So poor has always been a theme of all of my shows, and that's why Poor Three Sixty comes in. And the fact that it's Three Sixty means it can go anywhere around the world. And for you flat earthers, I'm sorry, Three Sixty degrees going around. But really, I think that is as good as intro as any. So with that, I'm going to throw it to the show with the intro and all of that, and we'll kind of go from there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is the inaugural episode of Poor 360. I am your host, Andrew Port, and I want to thank you for joining me here today. Now, the topic for this week is the government shutdown. This is a United States really only thing, and this is what I thought would be a fitting first topic. I said on the previous shows that I was involved with that I wasn't going to premiere this show until the government shutdown ended, but after a few weeks, it seems like that's really not going to be the case, at least for a little while longer. It's already the longest government shutdown in U.S. history since shutdowns really became an option. And I really, when I kind of came to think about this, I was like, what really, what is a government shutdown? I've heard about it in the past under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration, but I really haven't known too much about it. It's really become a bigger thing under the Trump administration because I think we've already had three, maybe four. And I'll really get into that, but kind of the one thing I was going to dive into is really what is a government shutdown? Now, I'm going to everyone's trusted resource, and that is Wikipedia. Really, if you don't know something, you're just bored, and want to tell you, just go to Wikipedia and just search something out. A lot of people just have that random button. And I know you kind of see they have a big thing about donating at the top now or just being a contributor, but hey, they helped you get you through high school. Maybe throw them a couple bucks. But, all right, so in the United States politics, a government shutdown occurs when Congress fails to pass sufficient appropriation bills or continuing resolutions to fund federal government operations and agencies, or when the president refuses to sign into law such bills or resolutions, in such cases the current interpretation of the Anti-Deficiency Act, requires the federal government begin a shutdown of the affected activities involving the furlough of non-essential personnel and curtailment of agency activities and services. Essential employees are still required to work without pay until the government reopens, when they may then receive back pay. The employees may include medical professionals in the veterans, hospital, and TSA agents. Now, kind of historically, since 1976, when the current budget and appropriations process was enacted, there had been 22 gaps in budget funding, 10 of which led to federal employees being furloughed. Now, and prior to 1990, funding gaps did not always lead to the government shutdowns, but since 1990, the practice has been shut down has been to shut down the government for all funding gaps. Shutdowns have occurred at the state, territorial, and local levels of government. Now, during the Ronald Reagan administration, there were a total of eight shutdowns lasting four days or less. Reasons were arguments over the Fairness Doctrine, welfare package, water-slash-crime fighting packages, foreign aid cuts, MX missile funding, needed spending bills and cuts in defense. A funding gap in 1990 during the George H.W. Bush administration caused a weekend shutdown during the Bill Clinton administration. There were two government shutdowns during 1995 and 1996, lasting five and 21 days respectively, at that point being the longest government shutdown in history, 
which recently was passed. Um, and that shutdown, the 21-day one, was based on disagreement on whether to cut government services. Now, during the Barack Obama administration, a 16-day uh, government shutdown occurred during October of 2013 over Democrats and Republicans not coming to an agreement for the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which is known colloquially as Obamacare. Uh, three funding gaps have occurred during the Donald Trump administration, a three-day shutdown during January 2018, a funding gap that occurred overnight on February 9th, 2018, which did not result in workers being furloughed, and an ongoing shutdown that began during December of 2018 over proposed funding for a U.S.-Mexico border wall. Now, government shutdowns have the effect of disrupting government agencies, increasing costs of the government due to lost labor. During the 2013 shutdown, Standard & Poor's, the financial ratings agency, stated on October 16th, the shutdown had to date taken $24 billion out of the economy and shaved at least 0.6% off annualized fourth quarter 2013 GDP growth. Now that seems kind of crazy, but I really, I didn't really know much about what caused growth. I know it's just, if they didn't pass a budget, there was no way to really pay employees and keep government running as it should, but the government can't really shut down. They can't just stop. The president doesn't become instantly employed. Congress doesn't get instantly unemployed. Police, fire, all that stuff. All the government agencies don't just stop functioning because that would be insane and we'd fall into a purge level chaos like none of which we've ever seen before. But this is kind of going back. This has been, like I said, it's been a historical event that's going to the back to the Reagan administration. So kind of here's kind of a little bit more about a government shutdown. So under the separation of powers created by the United States Constitution, the United States Congress has the sole power of the purse and responsibility for appropriating government funds. Like other bills, appropriations must be passed by both the House of Representatives and the Senate. Upon passage of a final version by both houses, they go to the President of the United States, the President signs the bill, they become law. If instead the President vetoes them, they go back to Congress, where the veto can in rare instances be overridden by a two-thirds vote of both houses. Government shall not send to occur the President or one or both the Chambers of Congress aren't able to resolve agreements over budget allocations between the existing budget but before the existing budget cycle ends. Which is really how all of the recent ones have come to pass. It's been over Someone tacking on an important activity to a budget and not refusing to pass anything else until that item kind of goes, enacts with it. So, big one coming, which I'll get to later during the Trump administration, but kind of backing up. So, initially many foreign federal agencies continued to operate during shutdowns while minimizing all non-essential operations and obligations, believing that Congress did not intend the agencies close down while waiting for enactment of annual appropriation acts or temporary appropriations. In 1980 and 1981, however, Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti issued two opinions that more strictly interpreted the Anti-Deficiency Act in the context of a funding gap along with its exceptions. The opinion stated that with some exception, the head of an agency could avoid violating the act only by suspending the agency's operations until the enactment of an appropriation. In the absence of appropriations, exemptions would be allowed only when there is such or some reasonable and Articulable connection between the functions to be performed and the safety of human life or the protection of property. Like I said, with which means like while police fire government agencies that involve like our personal safety, like TSA and all of that are involved. However, even after the civility opinions, not all funding gaps led to shutdowns. Of the nine funding gaps between 1980 and 1990, only four led to furloughs. Now I know you're thinking, what is a furlough? Because you've heard a lot, especially in recent news. Now a furlough... It comes from the Dutch uh, 
word verloff, which means a leave of absence. It's a temporary leave of employees due to the special needs of a company, which may be due to economic conditions of the specific employer or in the economy as a whole. These involuntary furloughs may be shorter long-term, and many of those affected may seek other temporary employment during that time. Now, from a federal government standpoint, in the United States, involuntary furloughs concerning federal government employees may be of a sudden and immediate nature. Such was the case in February 2010 when a single Senate objection prevented emergency funding measures from being implemented. As a result, 2,000 federal workers for the Department of Transportation were immediately furloughed as of March 1, 2010. The second longest such shutdown was December 16, 1995 to January 6, 1996, which affected all non-essential employees, shutting down many services including the National Institute of Health, Visa and Passport Processing, Parks, and many others. This happened again on October 1, 2013 and on January 19, 2018. The United States Congress failed to pass a reauthorization of funding for the Federal Aviation Administration and as a result furloughed about 4,000 workers at midnight on July 22, 2011. So that's kind of it for uh, furlough. Um, it also kind of happens in schools and in private sectors. So um, board members of various school districts as well as universities implemented furlough days in 2009. This made students pay the same rate, if not more, for their education while providing fewer educational days by forcing educators and staff members to take the days off. In, such, in states such as Georgia, the Board of Regents of the University System of Georgia included a clause so that mandatory furlough days are implemented, but no classes are lost during the 2009-2010 academic year. In California, the State Employee Trades Council voted to implement a mandatory two-day-per-month furlough policy for the staff and faculty of the CSU system. The furloughs intended to prevent layoffs began in August 2009 and in June of 2010. The 10% cut saved about $270 million of the CSU's $564 million budget deficit. Whew, and I thought Illinois was bad. Um, in the private sector, during the global recession of 2009, companies such as Intel, Toyota, and uh, Gannett implemented furloughs. And then in the federal government shutdown of 2013, federal contractors such as Lockheed Martin and United Technologies considered furloughing their own employees. Um, the term furlough is an employment. Um, the term furlough and employment can also refer to annual leave, long-term leave, time off based on a company plan schedule, for example, um, with a work. Um, with a work three weeks off one week schedule, a company's workforce is divided into four groups. Each group in turn takes a week off on furlough while the remainder work. It also refer to vacation from missionary work, military leave, or in the case of convicts, parole, probation, conjugal visit, or work release. So there you go. That's kind of furlough in a nutshell. Kind of a big nutshell, but still. Now, here's kind of a little bit more about the effects of a government shutdown. Now, while government shutdowns prior to 1995 to the 1996 shutdown had very mild effects, a full federal government shutdown caused a large number of civilian federal employees to be furloughed. During government shutdown, furloughed government employees are prohibited from an, even checking their email from home. To enforce this probation, many agencies require employees to return their government-issued electronics during the duration of the shutdown. Economic data shows that despite the inconvenience arised from a protracted government shutdown, such as the one in 2013, any GDP damage or failing job market confidence that results can be managed with relative ease. For example, despite seeing payment delayed to 1.3 million workers and 800,000 employees locked out, confidence in the job market recovered within a month of the 2013 shutdown, and GDP growth slowed only 0.1 to 0.2%. Still, the loss of GDP from a shutdown is bigger sum than it would cost to keep the government open. So there's that. However, the complete effects of a shutdown are often clouded by missing data that cannot be collected while specific government offices are closed. Obviously, if these agencies aren't operating, the data cannot be compiled. So that makes sense. 
Additionally, uh, some effects of the shutdown are difficult to directly measure and are though thought to cause residual impacts in the months following shutdown. Some examples include destroyed scientific studies, lack of investment, and deferred maintenance cost. The exact details of which government functions stopped during a shutdown is determined by the Office of Management and Budget. Emergency personnel continue to be employed, including the active duty, military, federal law enforcement agents, doctors and nurses in federal hospitals, and air traffic controllers. For the Department of Defense, at least half of the civilian workforce and the full-time dual-status military technicians in the U.S. National Guard and traditional guardsmen are furloughed and not paid while the shutdown is in effect. Members of Congress continue to be paid because their pay cannot be altered except by direct law. Mail delivery is not affected as it is self-funded and the funds are not appropriated by Congress. Programs that are funded by laws other than annual appropriation acts like Social Security may also be affected by a funding gap if program execution relies on activities that receive annually appropriated funding. Shutdowns in the past have also affected the Washington, D.C. municipal government, closing schools and suspending utilities such as garbage collection. And that's actually one thing I didn't know. Because a lot of people, when they really think of Washington, D.C., they don't think that there's actually a city there that runs. It has a mayor. And I just think that still sucks to be the mayor of D.C., knowing that you're not the most powerful person, even like a two-block radius of where you live. So... That's kind of unfortunate, but I didn't realize that they're affected as well. But like I said, um, things that aren't affected, like, one thing everyone you see on Facebook is saying, like, why is Congress getting paid during the shutdown? They should be, they shouldn't get their outrageous payments, and why it's been big news that certain congressmen, especially the ones that were just sworn in at the beginning of this month, are choosing to forego pay for the duration, or return payment, or donate their salary to um, people that have been furloughed. So, and the same thing, like, why Social Security uh, payments aren't affected, and the mail system and all that aren't affected as well. So, like I said, there's been quite a few since 1980, and I could go through all of it. I'm, they're not all that long. I'll just run through it really quick here just to see. So, um, like this being in 1980, um, on May 1st, 1980, the Federal Trade Commission was shut down for one day after Congress failed to pass an appropriations bill for the agency. It occurred just after the insurance of civilities opinion on April 25th. This is the first time a federal agency shut down due to a budget dispute. Federal marshals were deployed to some FTC facilities to enforce the shutdown. 600 workers were furloughed and the shutdown cost $700,000. That was just one day. One day, $700,000. That's... Crazy. And that was under the Carter administration. Then there were three under the Reagan administration. So in 1981, 84, and 86, thousands of federal employees were furloughed for a period of half a day to one day due to, the, due to Ronald Reagan, the U.S. president at the time, opposing bills that went against what he required. The first shutdown during his term in office was on November 23, 1981, in which 241,000 federal employees were furloughed for one day. The shutdown occurred because Ronald Reagan vetoed a spending bill that contained a smaller set of spending cuts than he had proposed. The shutdown was estimated to cost the taxpayers $80-90 million in back pay and other expenses. The note, all government departments were shut down during the funding gap. The second shutdown occurred on October 4, 1984, in which 500,000 federal employees were furloughed for one afternoon. Really, one afternoon, that seems ridiculous. The shutdown was due to Reagan's opposition to the inclusion of water project packages and a civil rights measure within the spending bill, forcing Congress to remove these the following day while receiving a compromise through the inclusion for funding of the Nicaraguan Contras. The shutdown only covered nine of the 13 appropriations bills that had been passed that had not been passed up to that point. Back pay was estimated at $65 million. 
So not quite as much as the one in 1981, but still substantial. The third shutdown occurred on October 17, 1986, in which 500,000 federal employees were furloughed for one afternoon over a wide range of issues. The cost was estimated at $62 million in lost work. And that's only an afternoon. $65 million and $62 million just for an afternoon. That just seems astronomical to me. And now, I'm probably going to cut over this with the right audio, but like we saw today when, since the president's kitchen staff was furloughed, he had to bring in fast food to give to the um, the college football team, I think, Clements. Um, but here's the message, and I'll probably put it over with proper audio during the um, Reagan shutdown of 1981. In the absence of appropriations, the White House is involved in an orderly phase-down. All non-essential personnel have been furloughed. No one is here to answer your call. And just like that, that's kind of... A lot of calls were like during that shutdown. Now, in 1990, which was the first year of my life, during the George H.W. Bush administration, the shutdown occurred over Columbus Day weekend from October 6 to October 8. The shutdown stemmed from the fact that a deficit reduction package negotiated by President George H.W. Bush contained tax increases despite his campaign promise of read my lips, no new taxes. Everyone remembers that if you were alive in 1990. I didn't because I was not even one year old yet, and I had no cause for that. So leading to a revolt led by then-House Minority Whip Newt Gingrich. Remember Newt Gingrich? He ran for president once upon a time and lost the primary to Mitt Romney. Yeah, that guy. Remember him? Okay. Now that defends the initial appropriations package. Because the shutdown occurred over a week and its effects were lessened. With the National Parks and the Smithsonian Museum being the most visible closure during this period while around 2,800 workers were furloughed, costing the government $2.57 million in lost revenue and back wages. So, three days over Columbus Day weekend, so not as much was lost there. Now we're going to jump forward to during Bill Clinton's administration. So, between 1995 to 1996, Democratic President Bill Clinton conflicted with the Republican Party, led by the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Newt Gingrich. Like I said, Newt Gingrich, remember him? Yeah. Um, leads to the United States dealing with two government shutdowns as a result. The conflict between the two parties were over funding for Medicare, education, and the environment, with public health being an additional subject of contention within the 1996 federal budget. The first shutdown began on November 14th after Clinton vetoed the spending bill the Republican Party-controlled Congress sent him. Around 800,000 workers were furloughed for five days before the shutdown ended on November 19th. The second shutdown began on December 16th, 1995. 284,000 workers were furloughed for 21 days until the shutdown was ended on January 6th, 1996. Until that point, that was the longest government shutdown in history. Only to be lapsed there. And surprisingly enough, there were no government shutdowns during the George W. Bush administration. So... Kudos to him, you never stopped the function of government. Now in 2013, during the Obama administration, also took place in October. October seems to be the time when budgets need to be passed. So this one lasted for 16 days, also pretty long. The Delegate was sent over a political fight between the Republican-led House of Representatives and President Barack Obama and the Democratic-led Senate over the continuing appropriation resolution 2014 and other political issues. While Republicans encouraged by conservative senators such as Ted Cruz Alongside conservative groups such as Heritage Action, offered several continuing resolutions with language delaying or defunding the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The Democrats sought to pass several amended continuing resolutions for maintaining funding at then-current sequestrian levels with no additional conditions. This fight led to a budget impasse which threatened massive disruption. On October 1st, 2013, the shutdown occurred 
with approximately 800,000 federal employees furloughed, an additional 1.3 million required to report to work without known payment dates. The deadlock between the two political parties lasted for 16 days. Congress passed the Continuing Appropriations Act of 2014 on the evening of October 16th, with Obama signing it shortly after midnight on October 17th. The result of this ending the shutdown, which also suspended the con- suspended the country's debt limit until February 7th, 2014. And that was the big one during the Obama administration. And then brings us to the Trump administration. So between 2018 and 2019, the U.S. government faced two major shutdowns. While the first focused on an argument between Democrats and Republican senators over the issue of immigration, the second focused on an argument between Democrats and both Trump and Republicans over border security and funding for a proposed new wall between the United States and Mexico. So the first shutdown took place almost a year ago to today, as you're listening to this. Um, it took place on January 19th, 2018. The deadlock continue, uh, occurred following the result of Senate vote over the government's upcoming budget, which both parties argued over the issues of immigration. While the Democratic senators insisted upon funding of DACA to be addressed in the budget, Republicans refused to include it on the grounds that the deadline for discussing this and immigration was not until mid-March. Vote held on the proposed bill for the U.S. budget failed to achieve the majority of 60 votes required for it to pass. The majority of Democrats voted against it. The result of the vote triggered a deadlock between the two parties with the shutdown occurring on January 20th at midnight. Approximately 692,000 workers were followed as a direct result. Over a period of three days before a proposed stopgap measure uh, to fund the government for four weeks was approved by the House of Representatives reopening the government on July 23rd. In the aftermath of the event, there was a February 9th spending gap, but it did not lead to any workers being furloughed as it was resolved overnight. So that's how it should be. If this is the, what's happening, you don't leave until it's solved. If it happens in the evening, you stay until the next morning to prevent people from not being furloughed. Which brings us to the current one we're in right now. So the second government shutdown occurred on December 22nd, 2018, right before the holidays. It became the longest in U.S. history on January 12, 2019, after passing the 21-day shutdown of 1995 to 1996, the deadlock centered around an argument which Trump sought to include a $5.7 billion in funding for a border wall, a core election campaign promised on border security he sought to fill with his supporters. As part of an upcoming bill on a House uh, passed continuing resolution to fund the United States government, part of his reason for the wall was due to members of his own party criticizing the decision not to include the request during the bill's initial debate. Democrats refused to support the bill if it included funding for a wall over questions of its effectiveness and the amount required causing it to fail to achieve a majority vote to pass it through to Congress. By January 2019, Trump was unable to convince senators to support his proposed border wall, knowing that when Democrats took control of Congress following the midterm election in 2020, they effectively blocked further attempts for funding. While some departments were not affected, the Department of Defense has been given two years of funding through the 2018 Omnibus Bill, while Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid are funded by mandatory spending. The second shutdown impacted around 800,000 federal workers. Noticing a pattern here, it's all around high hundreds of thousands, around 800,000 really. Approximately 420,000 were required to work without pay, which sucks, including those within federal law enforcement and national security positions as FBI, Border Patrol, Secret Service, and TSA. While the remainder were furloughed through the extended shutdown, raised considerable financial uncertainty for federal workers, either probably to call in sick or find other paid work or either protest or plead with the government to end the shutdown. The shutdown also raised concerns on the consequences it was bringing forth, including sharp reductions in SNAP payments and delays toward completing tax refunds worth around $140 billion due to the shutdown's impact on the Internal Revenue Service. 
On January 4, 2018, Trump asserted that he could continue the shutdown to force Democrats to fund his border wall or declare a national emergency to build it without congressional approval. Though political experts reasoned that invoking such use of executive powers would face a legal battle from Democrats, while others asserted that his administration would face mounting pressure if the shutdown continued. One major obstacle is from Nancy Pelosi, the appointed House Speaker for the De- Democrats at the time, and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate Minority Leader at the time. Trump held meetings with both that lasted 14 minutes, in which he refused to discuss ending the sh- shutdown after both Pelosi and Schumer strongly refused to agree to funding. Both parties held televised address on January 8th. Trump attempted to rally public support for the border wall funding and thus end the shutdown. Making border security the key talking point to his address in the nation, though some critiques questioned one of his claims regarding the shipment of heroin in the country. While both Pelosi and Schumer attempted to rally public support towards convincing the president to end the shutdown, during a visit to McAllen, Texas on January 10th, Trump repeated the assertion that Mexico would pay for the wall through a new trade bill he had arranged to replace NAFTA. Though so critics asserted he would not do the case if Congress approved it. As of January 14, 2019, the 2018-2019 United States government shutdown was in its uh, 24th day. So as of today, well, as you're listening, it will be in its 25th day. But maybe it's, by the time you listen to this, it's already over. But I kind of find that hard to believe. Now, there's one thing I kind of glossed over here regarding... Now, one thing that makes our form of government different from others regarding this shutdown. So shutdowns um, that the type experienced in the United States are nearly impossible in other forms of government. Under the parliamentary system used in most European nations, the executive must maintain the approval of the legislator to remain in power or confidence in supply. And typically an election is triggered if a budget fails to pass loss of supply. In other presidential systems, the executive branch typically has the authority to keep the government functioning even without an approved budget. Now, I know you really don't care, but I kind of want to be as thorough as possible. So what is a parliamentary system? So a parliamentary system is a system of democratic governments of a state where the executive derives its democratic legitimacy from its ability to command the confidence of the legislator, typically a parliament, and is also held accountable to the parliament. In a parliamentary system, the head of state is usually a person distinct from the head of government. This is in contrast to a presidential system where the head of state often is also the head of government, and most importantly, the executive does not derive its democratic legitimacy from the legislator. Countries with parliamentary democracies may be constitutional monarchs, where a monarch is the head of state, while the head of the government is always a member of parliament, such as the United Kingdom, Denmark, Sweden, and Japan, or parliamentary republics, where mostly a ceremonial president is the head of state, while the head of government is regularly from the legislator, such as Ireland, Germany, India, and Italy. In a few parliamentary republics, such as Botswana, South Africa, and Suriname, among some others, the head of government is also the head of state, but is elected by and is answerable to parliament. In bicameral parliaments, the head of government is generally, though not always, a member of the lower house. Parliamentarism is the dominant form of government in Europe, with 32 of its 50 sovereign states being parliamentarian. It is also common in the Caribbean being a form of government of 10 of its 13 island states, and in Oceania. Elsewhere in the world, parliamentary countries are less common, but they are distributed through all continents, most often the former colonies of the British Empire, which makes a lot of sense. Now, like I said before, confidence, supply, and loss of supply. So, in a parliamentary democracy based on the Westminster system, confidence and supply are required for minority government to retain power in the lower house. A confidence supply agreement is one where a party of independent members of parliament will support the government in motions of confidence and appropriation of budget, which is the supply votes. 
by either voting in favor or abstaining. However, parties and independent members normally retain the rights to otherwise vote in favor of their own policies or on conscience on legislative bills. A coalition government is more formal arrangement than a confidence and supply agreement. In the, in the member from junior parties, parties from other than the largest, gain position in the cabinet, ministerial roles, and may expect to hold the government whip on passing legislation. Now, a loss of supply occurs when a government and a parliamentary democracy using the Westminster system or system derived from its is denied a supply of treasury or extra funds by whichever house or house of parliament or head of state and is constitutionally entitled to grant and deny supply. A defeat on a budgetary vote is one way to which supply can be denied. Loss of supply is simply interpreted as indicating a loss of confidence in the government. Not all money bills are necessary supply bills. For instance, in Australia, supply bills are defined as bills which require for the government to carry on the day-to-day business. When a loss of supply occurs, a prime minister is generally required either by constitutional convention or by explicit constitutional instruction to either resign immediately or seek a parliamentary dissolution. Some constitutions, however, do not allow an option of parliamentary dissolution, but rather require the government to be dissolved or to resign. A similar deadlock can occur within a presidential system, which is also known as a budget crisis. In contrast to the parliamentary system, the failure of the legislature to authorize spending may not at all result in an election, because some such legislators enjoy fixed terms and so cannot be dissolved before a date of termination, which can result in a prolonged crisis. So, really, there's that. Now, I think that's probably more than you care to know about what a government shutdown is, but as you notice, as I kind of went through the list of the ones that come in the past, a lot of it comes to butting heads between the two parties that we exist in, especially since... Basically since the 90s. Like, the 1991 was really mainly about taxes versus no taxes. But really since Bill Clinton onward, they've been involving a butting heads of parties. We saw it with you know, Bill Clinton with the then Speaker of the House. We saw it with um, Barack Obama with the then Speaker of the House. And with now with Donald Trump and then Speaker of the House. There's both something they want to have passed, and they're pushing it down the throats of the people who don't want it, or whoever have control of the opposite party. So now that we have, where we have now a Democratic House and a Republican Senate, we're just kind of being silly because Republicans don't want to concede to blocking or hearing any form of proposal that involves not funding a butter wall because they don't want to face Trump's fury at them. And Trump's not going to give an inch because he wants this as a campaign promise to achieve so he can use it for his platform when he runs for re-election in 2020. So we're just at a stalemate, and it's really unfortunate because people who really want to get paid for... Like, some people just hate their jobs, but it would hate so much worse to have to go to your job but not get paid for it. Like, TSA agents, which already have one of the worst jobs, are choosing to call in sick to get a second job... To pay their bills because your landlord doesn't care that you're furloughed and don't have money coming in. Gro- like the grocery store's not going to give you food. But like, oh, you can pay when you're when you get your back pay after you're done furloughed. Like they don't care. Some people live paycheck to paycheck and choosing to not have them get a paycheck just so you can do this political posturing that's happening right now. Like this shutdown should have ended two weeks in what is it seven days ago? It's almost three weeks ago. Just needs to actually. It's been past three weeks. It's been a long night. But three weeks ago, it should have ended. Like, I think the government, really the president, 
House and Senate shouldn't have been able to go home for this past weekend. I don't I don't know why the Democrats went to Puerto Rico. I don't care that Lynn Manuel Miranda was putting on a Hamilton for them in as a big fundraiser Hamilton. Like, no, if you're in a government shutdown, you stay in DC. You don't get to rant and rave. You should be put in the US Capitol, doors locked, and not able to leave, go to the bathroom, do anything until the government reopens. I'm sick of this political posturing over border wall. I don't care if it's needed or not. This is ridiculous. Open the government, put everyone back to work, and let's salvage the situation as you can. I don't need people to just do these temporary stop measures. I We need to see some action. I think, really, the House and Senate should be just handcuffed to their chairs with government officials holding the doors and be like, look, you can't leave until we have a resolution. Sure, handcuff Trump to the freaking the high podium next to Nancy Pelosi. Have them figure it out. Like, I just want this government shutdown to end. It is ridiculous. It's gonna be 25 days. Like, what the hell? I don't know. It just seems ridiculous that we are in this 25-day government shutdown as you listen to this. Like, if it goes over a month, this is beyond it. Like, I think I made a Facebook post about this that said... If a government shutdown lasts longer than a month, all members of the House and Senate and the President should be ineligible for re-election. I don't care if you got sworn in two days before the shutdown happened and you had no way to control it. No. Make the most of that term to fix what you did and set it up for the next person. Then you can always wait another term and then come back. But you should be ineligible for re-election if you're doing this. Like, that would put a fire under the asses of the people that are just really pissing me off. But... That's kind of it for my rant of covering this government shutdown. I want to thank you all for listening to the hour. So the other episodes I'm going to do going forward are going to be a lot like this. Every week will be on a topic. I'm still excited if I'm going to put a poll out there on Facebook and Twitter with like four options of what I'd like to discuss and have you guys vote on what you like. And whoever wins by probably the Friday before or maybe Saturday. It depends on when I decide to record to get your votes in, and then all will go from there. So that's what I think about trying, but I want to thank you for listening. And if you liked it, like me on Facebook. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. at um, You'll see it in the credits there where you can find me and all everything else about the network. I'm going to try and have this show flow a little more interestingly, but I think that'll do it for this week. Stay tuned after the credits for a mini-show that I hope you enjoy. It's definitely very informational, just like this was. And I want to especially thank Wikipedia and alcohol, not only for helping me out on this show, but for helping me get through college. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others. Listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Poor360 before this. This is a little mini-sode that goes at the end of every week's Poor360. 
the topics will change. This week is poor improvement. Now, poor improvement, if obviously you guys don't know, involves a topic that involves a home improvement task. So things you run across, electrical plumbing, all this stuff that happens either when you're new to uh, home ownership like I am or if just things that come up in your apartment, um, at your parents' house, wherever it is that you're listening from. Now, one thing that happened to me very recently, as uh, I've said in previous shows that I've been on, I recently, in the past probably five or six months now, maybe not even quite that long, I got into the hobby of fish keeping. Now, fish keeping, obviously, you have a glass tank full of water and plants and fish, obviously. And I got into it, I really enjoyed it. Um, but over uh, over this past weekend, um, out of the blue, uh, one of the seamed corners of my fish tank decided to give way and leak about nine gallons of water onto my carpeted floor of my bedroom, which to come home to is kind of a nightmare. Now, if you don't have experience with water when it gets onto a surface it's not great like obviously if it falls onto like a tile floor concrete floor if it's in your basement or garage whatever it's not a big deal you soak it up and you let it dry out on its own but when it's carpeting it besides new con uh new challenges because a carpeting obviously it's usually on top of a subfloor which is usually wood and then there's a carpet pad and then there's carpet and when you have water, something spills on that, and something of that much quantity, it'll so first it'll soak through the carpet layer, then it'll soak through the carpet pad, which itself is like a sponge, and then it gets to the subfloor, and then it usually will soak through that and go to your basement or whatever. Luckily, I have a I have a ranch style home, so the only thing underneath my subfloor is a crawl space. But what you want to do when this happens is you first want to take a towel. And you just want to sop up as much water as you can. It's a big, um, obviously a tedious task. You just want to get as much off of that as possible. Once you are done with that, you want to, in my experience, I went and did this. I don't own one personally. Is you go rent a shop vac. And you just want to just pull as much water off the carpeting, off of the uh, carpet pad, and off the floor. And it also helps, I did this, and I've used this when I've been in an apartment, I've used this before, is you want to peel back the carpeting and the carpet pad from the area you're working with there that got wet, so you can really solve the water under that, because that carpet pad itself acts like a sponge, so it'll hold in all of that water, and it's really not good. If you let that sit, if you don't let it dry out, that will mold, and it will smell terrible, and you're not going to be able to get that out. You're going to have to rent like a carpet cleaner or hire a professional company to kind of get that scent out. And it can also really ruin the wood if you let that that spongy carpet pad sit there. So what I did as well when I got the shop back, I also got an air mover. Uh, you've seen them. They're kind of snail-shaped. They have a wide uh, mouth at the base, and they just really blast air. Uh, the one I have at like three different speeds. And what you do, so I peeled back the layers, sopped as much as I could, put a towel down and just sucked up. Um, as much water as you could off of that carpet pad. You really don't want to use a shot vac for that um, because you can suck up the carpet pad itself. It is brittle, especially if it's an older house or it's been down for a long time. So I peeled out those two layers, sobbed all the water off the wood. Then I kind of uh, left it kind of propped up because you, and then I sucked that air mover underneath it because you want to just blow air under that so you can really get 
the air moving to help dry that area out. Because obviously, for one, it's water, and two, it's water from an aquarium, so it has all the fun smells of an aquarium on it. You really don't want that smell in your carpet that's just going to, as it dries, to really get in the air. So I used the shop vac um, to soak up all the water I could, used the air mover to really dry out the carpet pad and the carpeting, and it could dry out that subfloor. And then after that, the next day, I let it run all night, let that air move run all night just to really soak it up. Once I confirmed it was dry, I let it run probably halfway into the next morning. Then I rented, well, I didn't rent. I borrowed a uh, carpet cleaner from my in-laws and then just ran over that whole area just to get it real, uh, just to pull all that dirt and stuff that was really great. And also, when your carpet gets wet, you notice all the stuff that's been trapped in there that your vacuum's never caught will come forward or pet hair if you have pets. So... Really worked a lot of that stuff up, and then once you pull it out, it gets the. And also using a carpet cleaner also gets that last bit of moisture out there because part of the carpet cleaner is it it push uh, puts water out there to kind of wash the carpet fibers, and then it sucks it back up just so you don't have soaking wet carpet because that's the whole problem we're trying to solve. So it gets that last bit of moisture if there's anything left in there, and then what you want to do with they've seen these products. Uh, the one I've used that I recommend is Damprid. It's this little plastic container that has these little pellets in it. And the pellets kind of pull the moisture. And if you have a very humid environment or if you have this kind of thing, it helps pull the moisture out of the air and prevent mold. Also use some mold spray just to put it on the carpet itself and on the walls where the aquarium was just in case water ran down that. Obviously you don't want mold on your insulation behind your walls or on the drywall itself because that can be a big pain in the ass and it, it's just not fun to have. So really once you've done all of that, you just let it sit and you monitor it for a few days. I'm still in day two, 48 hours in, and everything seems back to normal. But if you notice anything, it's kind of have to repeat the cycle. Um, baking soda also will help get smells out from your carpeting. And yeah, really just go for it from that. Um, there's plenty of tips online. That's just what works for me and my experiences in my apartment. I was on a crawl space apartment that had some water leakage issues just because um, it was a garden style so i'm halfway underground halfway above ground and i had some water come in during like really heavy heavy rains so i'd uh they, i had my carpet laced and everything but they peeled back the carpeting i remember just soaking up as much water as i could with the landlord and just preventing my other stuff from getting wet so have a lot of experience with that so that is my tips this is poor improvement the little mini episode to go with the poor 360 for this week so i want to thank you for listening and yeah just check me out next week there'll be other little mini-sodes and poor improvement uh, will come back as things arise once I've been playing the episode. So, thanks guys.